Welcome to the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16:15, Jesus says, "Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person." This good news sermon was given in the Great Auditorium in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit oceangrove.org to learn how we are fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship, educational, cultural, and recreational programs at the Jersey Shore. Hear these words from the psalmist. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let us join together in worship. And please join me and as we turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Good morning, holy God, precious Savior and powerful Holy Spirit. We come to you before your throne of grace today with such thankful hearts, thankful for all the blessings around us, whether it be this beautiful place we have the privilege of worshiping in, or the favor that you have shown into Ocean Grove and the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, for our friends or family in our lives, our jobs, our health, the countless times you have protected us, provided for us, healed us, and rescued us when we felt far from you. We are so grateful for the spirit of renewal that you are showering, with us, showering us on this summer and throughout the many teachings and concerts and gatherings. Lord, we, we feel that renewal. We ask you to receive our praise and thanksgiving today for your constant grace and love and protection. Now, Lord, we also know that there are a number of hurting hearts here. We ask you, just as a trusting child would to their father, for healing, for grace to endure, for deliverance, for strength, and most of all, for your presence to be felt, standing right along with us, hugging us, holding us, holding up your arms as Aaron did to Moses, as we trust you in the storms of our life. Lord, receive our our virtual hugs this morning as we virtually hug you right back. Lord, we're so grateful for your servant, Reverend Cleo LaRue, this morning. May we hear your words through the message he brings us. Now, Lord, as one church body this morning, may the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray be a sweet aroma to you. Let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. I welcome you here today on behalf of the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association on this beautiful and just slightly warm day. And I also welcome those online for joining us as well. Our speaker today 
is the Reverend Dr. Cleophas LaRue. He's an associate professor of homiletics at Princeton Theological Seminary. He has degrees from Baylor University as well as from Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, that's where he earned both his MDiv and PhD. He specializes in the theory and method of African-American preaching and worship. He was a former pastor at two churches in Texas, as well as a church in Harlem and Jamaica, Queens. So I know you as well as I do look forward to what Dr. LaRue has to, to, in his, to share with us in his message today. In Ocean Grove's fifth annual report in 1874, Dr. Elwood Stokes wrote this, God will be with us as long as we keep with him. We must plan and work according to the enlarged demand. Let us gird ourselves to the grandeur of our mission and, as in the past, look to God for help with an increasing hope and trust. Well, my friends, I want you to know that we hold here at the camp meeting to that exact same mission today, a mission for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal. And just as they did in 1874, we hold to that as well. And as our ushers come forward now, I want to thank every one of you for your gifts, your prayers, your participation that help us here at the camp meeting to continue that mission. And we here will look, look to God for help, just as Elwood Stokes did with an increasing hope and trust. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we look to you for help in all times. And you never cease to let us down, Lord. We know that you're always there. I ask you to bless each person here today. Bless the gifts we have, Lord. And thank you for the blessings you bestow upon us. And I just ask that as these gifts are collected, Lord, you help us to use them to further your will and your work in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning to you. To Mr. Badger and Mr. Herr and I think Mr. Keating. Is that close? All right. Uh, and to all of you wonderful Methodists and even more important Christians, I'm grateful to God for another opportunity to come this way. I've been to this magnificent place before. Of course, you wouldn't have thought it because I told Mr. Herr, I think, that I came in some kind of way and got lost and couldn't find the place. And I hated to stop and ask someone and tell them I was the preacher, but I couldn't find the place where I was supposed to preach. But I eventually found it again, this wonderful, wonderful place. So thank you for the invitation to come again. I've been here a couple of times before, and I always enjoy myself when I come this way. It is also the case that my 
colleague at Princeton Theological Seminary is, is here. And I, I want to acknowledge her because she is a wonderful, kind, and, and loving person. You don't have to be around her long before she lifts your spirit. So, Kenda, good morning to you. And uh, you are a wonderful person. I do mean that. Yes. We've worked together over 20 years, and you still come to hear me preach, so thank you. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> I, uh, I know not to preach long. I, I, I work for Presbyterians, and, <laughs> and maybe I told you this before, but this is true. I was preaching down the street in a little town called Lawrenceville at a Presbyterian church. I shouldn't have identified it that closely. But uh, when I got there at five minutes before the worship hour, there was one person waiting in the church. And we walked down the aisle together, one young, uh, elderly woman, we walked down the aisle together. And while we were walking down the aisle, the only ones in church, I said to her, I said, ma'am, I'm an old Baptist. Uh, I work at Princeton, but I'm an old Baptist. Can you tell me how long to preach here this morning? She never said a word. She just kept walking. Finally, she turned to me, she said, uh, you can preach here as long as you want, but we leave at 12 noon. So, <laughs> so I don't want to be too long this morning in speaking to the Methodist. My text this morning is found in Jeremiah, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 5. Jeremiah, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 5, it reads thus. You will be in the right, O Lord, when I lay charges against you. But let me put my case to you. Why does the way of the guilty prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root. They grow and bring forth fruit. You are near in their mouths, yet far from their hearts. But you, O Lord, know me, you see me and test me. My heart is with you. Put them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither for the wickedness of those who live in it? The animals and the birds are swept away. And because people said, he is blind to our ways. If you have raced with foot runners and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you fall down, how will you fare in the thickets of the Jordan? That's what I want to talk about for just a few minutes here. The University of Adversity. The University of Adversity. Let us pray. Come now, O Lord, in power and in might. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. This scene depicted in Scripture today 
is a courtroom scene. It is as if Jeremiah has hauled God into court and leveled some charges against God. The main charge is that Jeremiah accuses God of catering to the wicked. Jeremiah says, God, you let wicked people get away with some of everything. While those of us who love you so often struggle through. Jeremiah points his finger at God and accuses God of catering to the wicked. Verses 1 through 4. And in the fifth verse, God answers the charge. If you have run with foot runners and they have wearied you, how can you contend with horses? Jeremiah points his finger and accuses God. And in the fifth verse, God answers the charge. Now because because God is portrayed as speaking here in this scripture, I want to be careful what I say. I want to give it to you this morning exactly like God is saying it. I don't want to add to it, and I don't want to take away from it. If a human hands had, had written it or, or would be portrayed as speaking it, I wouldn't mind adding to it or taking away, paraphrasing, or adding some ellipses marks here and there. But because God is portrayed as doing the talking, I want to give it to you just like God is saying it this morning. So therefore, I cannot come this morning and tell you that when I'm done preaching here, uh, everything in your life will be coming up roses. I cannot tell you this morning that when I'm done here, all of your problems and difficulties will be solved, settled, and sealed. Because that's not what God is saying here this morning. And I want to give it to you like God is saying it. So look at it. Jeremiah charges God with catering to the wicked and allowing the treacherous to thrive. This is not a new charge leveled at God. This is pretty much the same charge leveled at God by the psalmist in the 73rd number. When the psalmist said, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no bands in their death. They are not in trouble as other people. This is the same charge leveled at God by Job in his affliction. Even Habakkuk and Malachi and on down through the New Testament scriptures. It is the age-old question that has baffled the faithful and stymied the learned throughout the ages. Why does God allow wicked people to prosper while those of us who love him at times can have such a difficult time 
trying to make our way through. You see, those who love God, they try to live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But those who care nothing for God, they live by the can rule. Get all you can and can all you get and sit on the can as long as you can. So God is an old hand at hearing this kind of complaint from God's own people. God understands, especially as his people try to come to grips with the exigencies and challenges of life, with the setbacks and adversities that are sure to come in life, with the vagaries and vicissitudes of life that come upon all of us from time to time. God is an old hand at hearing these kinds of complaints that Jeremiah is speaking this morning. You know, in the, in the black church, we used to sing a song that said, Lord, don't move my mountain. Just give me the strength to climb. But you know, really, some of us wanted God to move that mountain. I was singing along with them, but some of us wanted God to move that mountain. For when we encounter sustained adversity, we want relief. And by sustained adversity, I mean hardship, difficulty, tribulation. We want relief. Under that kind of sustained adversity, we brood, we sulk, we chafe. We pout because we want some relief from what we are going through. Even though we were singing that song, don't move my mountain. Just give me the strength to climb. I remember now, and it's been over, well over 30 years ago when I was a young pastor in Texas, my home state. Sometimes I'm proud of it, sometimes I'm not. But in Texas, my, my home state... As a young pastor in my early 20s, my first charge, I, that was a family caught in the thicket of adversity. And I called upon them. The father had lost his job. The son was in jail. The daughter was home pregnant. And the mother was in the hospital needing surgery without insurance. And I went to see the mother and I told her I was going to pray for her she was glad to see me she said oh my pastor and I said sister Moselle I want you to know I'm going to pray for you this morning and so she extended her hands and she closed her eyes and I said but before I pray I just want you to know I'm not going to ask God to move your mountain I'm just going to ask him to give you the strength to climb well Sister Moselle put her hands down and opened up her eyes and she said, hold on here, little preacher. Don't you tie God's hands this morning. If God wants to move my mountain, you let him move my mountain. <laughs> and now after all of these years, I understand sometimes when you are encountering hardship and difficulty, you want God to move the mountain. And so it is with Jeremiah. He had entered into a sustained season of adversity 
and he wanted some relief. And Jeremiah had reason to cry out to God because God told Jeremiah in the 11th chapter that there were some people in his own hometown trying to kill him. And some of them were kin to him. Do you not know that sometimes the worst hurts you feel come from people who say they love you? And so Jeremiah cries out for relief. And God says to him, if you think it's bad now, hang on. Because uh, Jeremiah was about to enter into a season of testing that would ultimately redound to his benefit. But before things got better, they were going to get worse because God was getting ready to enroll Jeremiah into the university of adversity where he'd have to take some courses in bowed head and bent knee. My Lord today. So after God hears the charge, God says to Jeremiah, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, what are you going to do? How will you contend with horses? In other words, Jeremiah, if you cannot keep up with trouble on foot, what are you going to do when trouble mounts a horse and rides through your life with all kinds of disappointment and hopelessness and feelings of helplessness. What will you do when trouble takes on the speed of a horse in your life? If you have to have closure before you can move on to the next thing, what will you do when the difficulties in your life take a repeated and consistent turn for the worse? What a question. You know, when we encounter, and God knows we've had our share of it over this last year and a half, when we encounter sustained adversity, we just want some relief. We want to get out from under it. And so all of our energies and effort, they're always geared to things getting better just around the corner. Kenda, I call it just around the corner faith. Some people have just enough faith to get them around the corner. And if things don't turn for the better, all hope is lost. All of our energy and effort is geared to believing that, that things are just going to get better right away. All our adages and aphorisms, cliches and Colloquial expressions, maxims, and mottos, they're all designed to make us believe things are getting better right away. I hate to say some of them because you know them so well. Well, like they say, good things come to those who wait. Not always. Sometimes bad things come to those who wait. Well, like they say, behind every dark cloud, there's a silver lining. Not always. Sometimes behind that dark cloud is some more lightning and thunder. And it's coming your way. 
Trust me, I had it last night. Knocked my power out. Couldn't even read my sermon. Well, anyway. <laughs> oh, we say, oh, the darkest hour is just before day. Not according to scientists. The darkest hour is just after midnight. And you still have five or six more hours before day. These, these adages and, and aphorisms that we love so well and that seem to bring us some peace and contentment when we're going through, sometimes these things can get in the way of what God is doing. Sometimes they get in the way of the lesson that is to be learned or the strength that is to be secured from enduring suffering. Sometimes they get in the way of our coming into a more intimate knowledge of the ways of God and how God works out his purposes in our lives despite the setbacks and adversities that are sure to come. You see, every now and then God comes into our lives and he moves us from one level of immaturity up to a new level of immaturity. For when you've been on this level for a while, you know your way around and you don't call on God like you used to and you don't pray to God like you used to. You know your way around. And then God comes into your life and he moves you up to a new level of immaturity where you have to learn to trust God all over again because you have not been this way before. There is no person living whose testimony cannot be if you've come through things successfully, your testimony has to be through many dangers, toils and snares. I've already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me on. The adversities we encounter, they can either strengthen us or they can make us bitter. But if we truly belong to God, they cannot make us both. For there is no such thing as a strong, bitter Christian. Or sometimes it takes a while for us to get over some things. And God understands that yes, we are bitter. And yes, we are mad. And yes, we are angry and hurt that we had to go through some things. But after a while, you have to get over that and move beyond it. Adversity can make you bitter or it can make you better. Some point, you have to move on. In my Texas pastorate, uh, as you get older as a preacher, you tell more stories. I'm sorry, if you just want the straight word, you can go read the Bible. That's what, that's what Carl Barth told us to do anyway. But anyway, uh, my charge, he, he had been a faithful minister. He was retired and he had a stroke. And he was paralyzed, I, I, the right side, I believe. He was paralyzed on the right side and had to be moved from the hospital to the rehabilitation facility. And he thought because he had been faithful to God for so many years, he thought God would raise him up immediately. And when that did not happen, he became angry with God. After a lifetime of service, he became angry with God over his situation and then turned bitter towards his wife. Sometimes the people who are closest to us, 
We give them the hardest time when adversity makes us bitter. And she said to him one day, she said, Dear, I, I, I want to go to Dallas with the church on an outing this afternoon. I'll be back in time to feed you your evening meal. He couldn't even speak. He beckoned for the letter board and she brought it to him with his raised hand and he spelled this word, N-O. He told his wife, no, she couldn't go, stay there right with him because he had become so bitter over the adversity in his life. In a mystery that I do not understand and that I cannot fathom, from time to time in every believer's life, God allows something into our lives that we cannot handle, something that we cannot easily overcome. Paul called it a thorn in the flesh. Albert Camus called it a secret grief. That great black preacher from Brooklyn, the late Gardner Taylor, he called it a humbling negative. From time to time in every believer's life, God allows something into our lives that we cannot handle, that we cannot easily overcome. But it does not disqualify us. It deepens us. It does not idle us. It anchors us. It does not sideline us. It strengthens us. God knows it's there. God allows it into our lives. And then he turns right around and blesses us anyhow. We're not serving today because we've been so good. We're serving because God allows us to be used by him anyhow. My Lord, today. Uh, George Truitt. I'm almost through. Give me a few more minutes. George Truitt. The late George Truett, a seminary at Baylor is named for him, the, the George Truett Seminary at Baylor. He was the pastor of the first Baptist church in Dallas at that time in the 30s and 40s. It was the largest Baptist church in the United States, Dallas. And you would have thought being the pastor of the largest Baptist church, he would have been a hell fellow, well-met, back-slapper, bombastic, outgoing. Not so. He was a moody person. He suffered from melancholy, what we call depression today. Why? Because early in his preaching career, one day while hunting, he accidentally raised his gun and shot his best friend and killed him. And that affected Truett for the rest of his life. He was a great preacher. But God allowed something into his life that he could not handle. L.K. Williams, you might not know this name, in the first part of the 20th century, he was one of the greatest black preachers in America. Martin King loved him. L.K. Williams preached to thousands all over this country in black churches from coast to coast. But he had a grief because he had an only son who lived in his house who would not accept Jesus Christ and wanted nothing to do with God or the things of God. And that affected L.K. Williams. One more, Mahalia Jackson, 
that great gospel singer who brought joy to so many with her music. Mahalia had a grief, for she could never find happiness in her married life. Married and divorced twice, she died estranged from her husband. God allowed something into Mahalia's life that she could not handle and then turned around and used her to his honor and to his glory. Well, I'm through. Jeremiah got into trouble for following God. But if following God gets you into trouble, following God will get you out of trouble. You know, the trouble we get into is because of stuff we do. And I know it is because of what we say, you know. The stuff we get into is because we followed our second mind. Because after we get into it and make a mess of it, we say, you know, if I had followed my first mind, I wouldn't be in this mess. So we get into trouble following our second mind. Jeremiah got into trouble following God. If following God gets you into trouble, following God will get you out of trouble. Don't let anything lead you in that cannot lead you out. And when you encounter sustained adversity, as we say in the deep south, hold your hope. Just hold on for a while until God comes. Things may get worse before they get better, but hold your hope. You may have to endure burdens and battles, disaster and disappointment, heartache and heartbreak, but hold on. For God has enrolled you in the university of adversity, and God will come after a while. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And when your friends and family see you and they know something is wrong, just tell them, God has enrolled me into the university of adversity. And when God gets through with me, I shall come forth as pure gold and the people of God said amen, amen. <laughs> now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the love of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit Rest, rule, and abide with each of us until we meet again. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more about attending a worship service in the Great Auditorium, additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, and social media links, go to oceangrove.org.